What is church for? What is this all for? Right, have a little chat together. What is this for? Okay, have a little chat. Just while the kids go out, uh, just for a couple of minutes. What is church for? What is it all for? It's a big effort getting here. Some of you are tired. What is it all for? Have a little chat together, just for 30 seconds. What is it all for? What is it all for? Uh, let me tell you a couple of stories before I ask you. Um, the first story I'm about to tell, I have told in this church before. Uh, I've been here that long. I'm now repeating material. Uh, only just now, so, you know, um, but it has been told, and it's quite a famous one. Uh, once there was a very dangerous piece of coastline, this is not a true story, just relax, uh, where there were numerous uh, shipwrecks. Uh, it was a very dangerous piece of coast, uh, and the local villagers were heartbroken by the fact that people were drowning uh, in this sea repeatedly over and over again, seemingly with no hope. And so some villagers got together, and they made a little hut, and they got a little boat, and together they, they as volunteers, worked day and night looking out to sea, looking for shipwrecks and rescuing uh, those who were in trouble. It was hard work, but this small group loved the fact that they were making a real difference. And they were out on the sea daily, especially in the storms, picking people out of the water and bringing them back. Over time, some of the people who were rescued, and also some others who quite liked the look of the adventurous life, came to that little lighthouse, uh, that little um, lifeboat station, uh, and said, we want to join and help. And that was really good. And some of them gave some money and some of them volunteered themselves to pay for others to be trained as like lifeboat men and women. Uh, and, they, and some of them started to say, look, actually, this lifeboat station is a bit tatty and a bit small for us. Like maybe we can have a bit of a collection to make it a bit bigger and a bit more comfy for those of us who are going out to rescue those on the sea. And people thought that was a good idea. And so they built a slightly bigger lifeboat station with a better ramp and they got another boat and they paid for some more people to come and do the rescuing uh, themselves. Over time, the lifeboat station became a lovely place to hang out. So lovely, in fact, that sometimes when ships went down, the people couldn't really be bothered to do some rescuing. After all, why would you want to leave the warmth and comfort of this lovely station and risk going out on the cold, dark sea? Some people said it wasn't a problem, though, because around the walls they had pictures and writings and clippings of previous rescues where they'd been a key part of. And they used to sing songs about previous rescues that was lovely. One night there was a big shipwreck and many, many people uh, were in danger. And the ships went out and rescued a good load of them. And those people were brought in, but they were from a different country and a different culture. And if I'm honest, some of them were a bit dirty, having been in the sea and in the oil for quite a while. And some of the members of the lifeboat station found it quite difficult because their seats were being filled by dirty, smelly foreign people. And they didn't like it. And so what they did was they had a collection. They paid for a shower room outside of the lifeboat station so that people who were rescued could be cleaned up outside of the station before they came into the clubhouse and it was nice because it meant that actually there was a bit of you know decorum within the lifeboat station and over time actually quite a lot of the people forgot really about how to be lifeboat people at all after all they paid a few people to do it for them and there was a meeting one night that said actually it's got to the point where it's quite difficult with all these rescues it kind of gets in the way of us being a crew together and so a vote was made to change the name from a lifeboat station to a boat station. And there was a few members who were disappointed with that because they'd signed up to be lifeboat crew. And they were told, that's fine, go and start your new lifeboat station just down the side. We'll give you a bit of money to go. And over time, the boat club became a yacht club. And then the same thing happened to the one down the road. And the same thing happened to the one down the road. 
And over time, no one was being rescued from shipwrecks anymore. It's a fun story, isn't it? Has no parallels with church at all. <laughs> a second story for you really quickly. Uh, Daniel, thank you. Uh, once there was a lovely church that was big and strong and it, it had a, a really good reach into its community. Uh, and one of the people who was saved was a, a very rich businessman. And he was so grateful, having heard the message of God coming to rescue him in Jesus, that he paid for a big archway above the doorway. And in the archway, it said, we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. It was the thing that had warmed his heart and turned him around from a life of uh, brokenness into a life of, of, of life and joy. This church did loads of really good things. And over time, the church grew and many clubs and things started. Very good, worthy work. But things got so busy that after a little while... Uh, the gardening was neglected a little bit. It happens. There's not enough uh, volunteers in the rotor. And ivy began to grow up. And what was weird was people couldn't quite tell whether the ivy growing was causing or mirroring what was happening inside. Because initially the ivy grew up and it said, we preach Christ. Covered up the crucified bit. The church still talked about how lovely Jesus was and how he loved you very much and wanted to be your friend. But he didn't want to offend people. didn't want to upset people. So it sort of pulled back a bit from talking about crucifixion and the messiness of a God who would die for his people and to, to pay for sin. And then later on, the ivy grew a bit more. And it said, we preach. And they used to get great speakers coming in, clever words, lots of pictures, stories about lifeboat stations. And, uh, and they had a happy time listening to these really good orators and speakers. And some services were really, really exciting and encouraging. And then later on, the ivy grew a bit more. And it just said, we and the church was a great place full of great comfort, loud singing, strong cliques and petty fights as everyone fought to figure out what is it that we want from our church. Once again, no parallels to church, uh, even though that's a story about church. Now, I don't think that's where we are, but throughout history, churches have struggled to remember what they're for. So my question was, what are we for? What were some of the things you guys said uh, in your brief chat? What, what are we for? What are we for? I know I've just told you some of the answers, but yeah, Helen, what are you for? To equip us to go out? Yeah? Yeah? What are we for? Yeah? Spread the word? What are we for? Encouraging each other? Yeah? What are we for? Yeah, Simon? Connecting with God? Yeah? What are we for? What are we for? And these are all good things. Yeah, yeah, go on, Matt, yeah? Showing the light, showing the way, Matt? All God's children, yeah, yeah. Reminds us of the Bible story, yeah? So, so these are all good things. These are all good things. Ultimately, uh, the church exists for the benefit of those outside of church. Ultimately. It, it has good things in it, but we exist, we're meant to exist, to go out into all the world, making disciples, teaching them to obey Jesus, uh, knowing that Jesus is with us always, to the very ends of the earth, baptizing them. That's the Great Commission, yeah? That's the thing that Jesus said to his disciples at the end of his life. That's what we're for. And what was lovely at our last church meeting and our last leaders meeting was a sense in us that we need to re recapture that just a little bit. Recapture that just a little bit. That COVID came and we kind of had to not go out. Literally, we would have been arrested if we did. Um, that, that, that It's been two years, though, since. And maybe this is something we want to think about. So we're going to be thinking about that this term. Um, we're going to be thinking about that just a little bit. Um, all this for what? 
uh, and we're going to be going through that. Now today I'm going to do something a little bit different, just for a few minutes. I'm going to talk a bit about what the gospel is, uh, different ways to talk about it. Um, Daniel, thank you. Next one. This is our, our little tagline uh, that kind of guides us as a church. Um, what is it all for? Well, we're all for one, right? And hopefully some of you have seen this. Uh, we want to be a church where all of us and all of us are involved in the rescue of others and the building up of the body. That's what we want to be, all of us. Um, specifically, at the moment, there are gaps in our church on rotors. But more than that, there are ways and people that we want to develop and grow. And one of the good ways we can do that is by serving God in our lives, in our families, in our work, and at church. We want to be a church that do four things. We want to be a church that disciples people. In the past, we have just gone out willy-nilly, just doing anything we could, right? I'll do this. I'll do this. I'll do this. And I've collapsed and others have collapsed. And so others are right. We want to build ourselves up. We want to grow the flock well. We want to do it wisely and thoughtfully. Uh, but we don't want to do that forever and ever and ever without going out. But discipleship is only so that we might go and be evangelists. We might go and show people the way. We want to be a church that care about the world. Uh, if we don't love people, if we don't rescue people from all the things they're facing, it's just words. Jesus said, what good is it if you say, go and be well fed? Um, and lastly, we want to be a church that does well for young people uh, and kids. But the big thing, what are we all for, is about loving God. Loving God. And what does that mean? We're going to look at that today. Daniel, if you could. And Angela's going to read for us now. Angela, thank you. Uh, just three passages. Uh, you could have them in your Bibles if you want. Uh, but we're going to just touch on them very quickly. Um, what does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love God? Thank you. Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Romans 13 verses 8 to 10. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. John 3 Verses 16 to 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes, believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. What is the gospel? We were made to love uh, because we're born in Adam's line, our love is imperfect and broken. Uh, to fulfill the law, we would have to love God with our heart, our soul, and our mind, everything. 
And we don't. We can't. We're distracted, aren't we? We're busy. We, we get pulled away. We're, we're, we're forgotten sometimes how to love or the fact that we are objects of love. The second command, though, flows out of that. Well, if we love God, we would see God in other people and we would love our neighbor as ourselves. And once again, we don't. Uh, we find that difficult um, because it's costly. Um, and yet both the Pharisee, Paul, uh, and Jesus, when tested by a Pharisee, knew these were the, the words that said, this is how the law works. This is how you get to be close to God. And yet we're stuck, aren't we? We can't do it ourselves. We can't. But the good news is this, Okay. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, who lived perfectly, who loved God with his heart, his soul, his mind, and his strength, who loved neighbors as himself. God comes and does it for us. And then whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And there's a challenge here because the gospel is a choice. The gospel is a question. God's saying, I want to rescue you. This is a dangerous question. Mark, have you ever, because Mark's a paramedic rescuer, and I haven't prepped him for this. Uh, well, kind of, you know, helper, emergency have you ever met someone who didn't want to be helped? Either they had a head injury or they were fighting you off? Or Is it common? No. What, what, what happens when they're fighting you off? What do you have to do? <laughs> and it's interesting, isn't it? That, that actually God doesn't force his rescue on us. What kind of love would it be if he forced it on us? What kind of love would it be if he didn't? Respect us enough to say, well, do you want me? Do you want this? Do you want this life? Have any of you ever been in a, like a, 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 I'll be careful here, an elderly aunt who you didn't like very much and your parents were like, go and give your auntie a kiss. <laughs> have any of you ever had that moment? I, I, I have that memory so much. There was one of my aunts, I won't say who because they'll probably be listening. Um, uh, actually, no, it's not you. Um, uh, <laughs> Who, who um, I don't know why, she, she, she smelled of sausages all the time. And I don't know why. And, and as a young boy, um, my mum would be like, go and give her a kiss. Now, I like sausages, but I didn't like the smell of an aunt like, smelling like sausages. She wasn't really an aunt. She was, like, distant. And I'd go over there, and it would be, like, forced love. It's, it's no love at all, Yeah. And so there's a choice in the gospel that says, God says, I've done this for you. I want to rescue you. I've reached out to you. Will you reach out to me? I was really challenged. I met with a friend of ours that came to one of our Easter events. And uh, he's not a believer. He's a lovely guy. And he said to me, um, do you believe the things that you said at Easter? And I went, what? He said, it didn't sound like you really believed it. It felt a bit like you were rushing. Were you doing that because you were worried about what I'd think or what others would think? And I went, no, that's not what I'm like at all. <laughs> uh, but it was. Um, and this is a video from an atheist, uh, Penn Jillette, talking a little bit about the gospel uh, and sharing it. Here we go. Thank you. It's challenging, isn't it? And, and I'm not here to make us feel guilty. I, I want us to realize that Maybe not everyone's thinking what we're thinking they're thinking. But when I'm leading events, I'm thinking, they all hate me and they're bored. Some of you are going, yeah, amen, amen. First true thing you've said this morning. Um, but, but actually, for some, there's a hunger there. And, and, and meeting and talking with people, you know. The key bit was, he said, the guy was kind. He was loving. He was sane. He was thoughtful. 
but he loved me enough to try. It's a challenge, isn't it? The interesting bit for me becomes, why, and I'll talk about me now, why do I sometimes struggle? I guess a good test is, do I love the Lord my God with my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength? Is it there are times when my love is dimmed? It happens, it's normal. I get distracted like any relationship, other things press in. What is the gospel? The gospel is the greatest love letter ever, that you're loved, that, that, that God thinks you're worthy of rescue, that not just worthy of it, he does it, that, that he fills you with his presence, that, that he fills you with hope that death's not the end. What is the gospel? Uh, Dan, if we go to the next one, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is Jesus. It's, it's sharing someone. Just really quickly for 30 seconds, uh, turn to the person next to you and tell them who your favorite person is, not Jesus. Just tell them about your favorite person, just really quickly, just 30 seconds. Just who's your favorite person? Someone you love. Just 30 seconds. Ready? If it's, if it's your partner, do it. Yeah, do it. Do it. 30 seconds. Who's your favorite person? Just quickly. It's not hard to feel warmth and joy and love about the things that we love. Like, and so what's the gospel? Well, firstly, for believers, the gospel is something that we need to tell ourselves every day. It's not just for others. The danger is if we forget that it's God who rescues us, God who does the work, we might slip into either thinking, I've been rescued, look how good I am. Look at the things I'm doing that's making God love me. And we fall into this awful pride. Or if we forget the gospel that God has done it and it's enough, we might start to think wrongly that we're horrible still and awful and not worthy of love. And we slip into these two things. If we fill ourselves with pride, we start to look down on others and, and the gospel then becomes something they have to earn for themselves but something believers need to tell themselves but also the gospel is meant to be news and news is only news for those who haven't heard it and so lovingly and thoughtfully and gently but clearly want to be a church at this term think about what the gospel is uh, Daniel next one some different ways of doing it uh, this is four points I'm not a big fan of any of these because it kind of reduces it down uh, the idea is, is that in the beginning uh, God loved us. He made a garden that was full of love and said, love one another, love the planet. And we did that for a bit, but actually there was a point where we said to God, no, God, we want to be separate from you. Even though you've given us all these good things, we've created division between us and God, and there's a barrier now. It's called sin, and it causes all the things in the world that we hate. Death feels like an imposter because it is, because sin brings it. Disease feels like an imposter because it is, because sin brings it. Direct human action poisons our oceans and air, which causes illnesses in good people that don't deserve it. Plastics fill our food. They cause cancers in children that don't deserve it. We have health care that could help people from going blind that live near water, but we don't share it. We have systems that are broken and wrong, and death is everywhere. And division is everywhere, and us and God feel far away. But God in his glory comes down and breaks through that barrier, and he goes beyond where we are into the grave, and he rescues us from it. And he says, come, come back to me. Let me be your king. Let me be your hero. Let me be your champion. Let me be your life. And so we have a choice. Do we accept that or do we follow? A bit more. Let's go next one really quickly. Uh, the gospel could be a raft. It's not just about forgiveness. I worry when we just make it about that. Uh, if we talked about shipwrecks, God makes us righteous. God has defeated the power of sin, which means we can't approach him. That means when we look at ourselves, we might know that we're loved. God has adopted us. He's paid the price for sin. The picture of adoption was that we were slaves in a slave market in a cave. God, the rich master, comes, pays the price, sets us free and adopts us into his family. That means we know we're loved. We're forgiven. God has taken the penalty for sin and we're transformed. God is and will remove the presence of sin 
in our lives one day completely now by his spirit a little bit. We could keep going on and keep going on. C.S. Lewis, Aslan, keep going on. We'll do more of this. Um, um, Go down to that next one. Thank you, Dan. You could say our universe has a beginning. These are things we can agree on with our world. That humanity is unique among all the animals. That's what the Bible says as well. That death and pain feel wrong. That our world is so concerned with identity and relationships and knowing our purpose and finding rest and worrying about the future. And the gospel is good news into all of those things. There's lots of ways we can start. But I'm tiring you guys out and it's warm in here. What's the gospel? The gospel is good news. We're going to learn about that this term. 